David's Daily Digital Dollop, Dollop 239 from Bathing to Bagels. Yes. We cover all sorts of territory on the dollop. Yesterday you joined me in the bath, today you join me in the kitchen. And I am putting on the oven and I am about to oven cook some bagels. A couple of bagels. And I am going to have smoked salmon, cream cheese. I was thinking of having olives, but I'm not sure if that might be a bit salty with the smoked salmon. Tomato and some spring onion. Feel free to follow along as we go, if you have the right ingredients. And as I cook, I shall be talking about various things, as is the kind of norm now, that's what happens, isn't it, on the TV. People cook and they have a chat as they cook, and celebrities are interviewed while they're cooking. So that's what I'm doing right now, only I'm talking to myself. <laughs> And I'm not a celebrity. Although, having said that, I was spotted a couple of days ago. Oh, dear. The drawer has got... Oh, bloody hell. Something's got stuck in there. That doesn't... See, that doesn't happen on the TV, does it? Things don't fall out of the drawers. Oh, something's fallen out of my drawers. Not now, Tim. Not now. <laughs> but yeah, I was spotted a couple of days ago. I was on a train and a woman sat next to me. And then she suddenly said... Oh my goodness, you're from the young'uns, aren't you? It does happen, but it doesn't happen a lot. And I did try and explain that to the woman. I was sort of saying, oh, it doesn't, this doesn't happen a lot. And I was trying to explain that to the woman. I was clearly surprised. But then in my bid to explain that it doesn't happen a lot, I then listed all the times when I had been spotted. And I realised that there were quite a few examples and that essentially I'd now spent about five minutes telling a complete stranger who just said, you're from the young'uns, aren't you? all the other times that I'd been recognised. Then there was this time when I stepped off the train in London, King's Cross, busy station, of course, busy station. As soon as I stepped off the train, someone recognised me, said, this is your David from the Youngins, aren't you? So I told her all these stories about all the times, and then I suddenly realised that essentially, even though I was trying to do the opposite of saying, oh, it doesn't happen very often, I then spent five minutes talking about all the times that I had been recognised, probably maybe just made me sound very arrogant. Anyway, we had a lovely chat for about 40 minutes or so, and it's quite odd because it's someone I've never spoken to before, but she obviously she recognises me because she's seen me perform. Unfortunately, she didn't say, you're David from David's Daily Digital Dollop, aren't you? Which is what I'm waiting for. If you, if you see me on a train, don't feel shy about coming to say hello. Come and see me, but don't say you're David from The Youngins. Say you're David from David's Daily Digital Dollop, aren't you? Or, even better, why don't you say, oh my God, it's David from The Bath. Oh, I loved your bath dollop, David. Absolutely brilliant. How's Billy doing? If you didn't listen to yesterday's dollop, you won't have a clue what I'm talking about. But whose fault is that? This fridge is jam-packed, except there's no jam in it. <laughs> but there is cashew nut milk. My goodness, I'm really into my nut milks. I love almond milk. Hazelnut milk is really nice. Coconut milk is delicious. But yesterday, for the first time, I bought cashew nut milk. I don't know what it's going to be like. Ah, here we are. Scottish smoked salmon, it says. I don't know whether that means it's been smoked in Scotland, or it's been smoked by someone who is Scottish, or if the smoke came from Scotland, or if the salmon is Scottish. But either way, I'm going to eat it. I don't, I'm not a xenophobic salmon eater. It's, I don't care. If it's been smoked by a Welshman, that's absolutely fine. Or even a Welsh woman. I absolutely don't care. I need to get the cream cheese out now. Philadelphia cream cheese. See? I'm so multicultural. Salmon from Scotland, cheese from Philadelphia. I've been going through old 
tape recordings of myself. And today's tape that I've discovered is a recording of me when I was seven year old and I ended up on a radio station talking to the presenter about wanting to be a DJ. It proves to the lady who commented after seeing the young'uns perform saying, I really enjoyed the gig, but I don't know why the man leading it was putting on a fake Northeast accent. To prove to that lady that I am from the Northeast, I'm not putting on a fake Northeast accent. It has actually got diluted over the years. This is a recording of me at the age of seven then, and this is how my voice used to sound. Well, how's everybody keeping this morning? I trust you're all in good health. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is bit isn't me talking, by the way. This is the presenter talking, just in case you were thinking, he's right. You do have a more pronounced northeast accent there, David. Although the thing that's more interesting is the fact that you also seem to be... Uh, you seem to have gone through puberty rather early. Yes, I went through puberty rather early. My voice broke when I was seven-year-old. No, that's not me. That's the sound of the presenter. I shall be talking shortly. And I believe we have uh, an interview this morning with uh, David eagle the young blind boy who wishes to become a radio producer or a disc jockey hello tell them who you are david eagle and how old are you david seven come on david you tell us why you want to be a disc jockey because because it's got because it's got loads and loads and loads of different it hasn't got like complicated machines on and, that, and you don't like that it's just like this this thing here that's it it's nice and calm you don't have you don't have like things things <laughs> I mean, that, 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 by the way, if you are wanting to be a DJ and you ever go for a job interview at a radio station, give that answer and they'll immediately snap you up. I mean, what happened actually after that interview there? It was meant to just be a seven-year-old being interviewed on a radio station. It was meant to just be a bit of a twee feature, interview a blind seven-year-old about why he wants to be a DJ. But actually what happened was when I was leaving the studio, the boss of the radio station came down and said, I know this isn't the done thing, you're only seven-year-old, but after that answer there, we want to give you a job, you know. I don't know how you managed to do this. You just got away with words. Anyway, before I go, I shall read out a few of your comments. Chastity Payne comments on yesterday's dollop with the bagel, saying, You won't like this, but the preparation of the bagel dollop was much more erotic than the bath time one. I mean, everyone knows that bath-based sex demands at least... Well, I didn't say we were having sex. I think you've just assumed that we were having sex, Chastity, from the noises that you heard. <laughs> I'm not sure what kind of sex you thought we were having. I like the fact she says everyone knows. Everyone knows that bath-based sex demands at least a jacuzzi-sized vessel. Are you referring to the bath? Or are you just referring to your genitals there, Chastity? <laughs> and how do you know that Billy didn't have a jacuzzi-sized vessel? Um... Everyone knows that bath-based sex demands at least a jacuzzi-sized vessel if it's to be enjoyable rather than painful. Unless you are capable of the kind of athletics that might win an Olympic synchronised swimming medal. Yeah, although I think, to be honest, you might be disqualified if you start doing that kind of thing in the synchronised swimming round. Please go back into the kitchen and I'll have a seeded bagel, please. I like the texture. I like the texture as well of a seeded bagel, Chastity. And it was a seeded bagel that I had. I, I replied to that comment 
and I didn't make any reference to the sex. This shows what kind of a life I lead. I have referred to the sex now in this reply, but when I originally replied to that comment, I forwent any mention of the sex and just went straight for, yes, bagels are more certainly seeded. Looking forward to cashew nut milk tomorrow. That's the kind of life that I lead. I'm 31 year old. Someone has just gone on a big rant about having sex in the bath and I've just focused on the bagel bit. And when I say the bagel bit, that's not a euphemism. I've just thought, oh, I'm just focusing on your bagel bit right now. <laughs> Open sesame. It doesn't really work particularly well as a joke, that. Open sesame. I'm referring to seeds, obviously. Let me plant mice. Anyway, that's, no, it's not. Uh, Jill responds, saying, I found cashew nut milk rather disappointing when I tried it. Don't get too excited at the prospect. It's great how one dollop can bring up so many topics. So we've got the topics of cashew nut milk, bagels, and having sex in the bath. Very multifaceted dollops, these, and a very multifaceted listenership that I have. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. How's this for excitement, ladies and gentlemen? I'm going to go and try some cashew nut milk right now. Here we go. But I'm going back to the kitchen as requested, Chastity. Okay, I'm opening the fridge and I am getting out cashew nut milk. Here we go. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have another taste. Hang on. Mm hmm. Apologies for the noise. Although you're probably enjoying that chastity. I feel like you've turned into Chloe. Or maybe we could cock you two up. Maybe that could be a special dollop prize for my two loyal listeners, Chastity Payne and Chloe. We'll get you a jacuzzi and uh, let the magic happen. I think I'm going to have another taste of this cashew nut milk and then I'm going to give my considered opinion. But so sorry for the slurping noise as it goes through the... It's just because I'm drinking it from the carton. Hmm. I think I like it. I think it's quite nice, actually. It's very nutty, but I like it. It's, it's very nutty. It's quite rich. It's quite creamy. It's pretty... Oh, someone's on the phone. This is exciting. Who could it be? Hello? Hello. Okay, I'm back. Only a couple of hours in the future. At this point in the recording of the dollop, my friend rang me and we had a conversation. During the conversation, I got a text through from Ben, who I live with, who's currently on holiday in Mallorca. And for some reason, this text got a rather surprising response. This is what happened when I was on the phone to my friend and I began to read Ben's text message out. And with this... I shall say goodbye. Westwood. Ben Westwood, there are plums on top of the fridge. And... There are plums on top of the fridge. And to help... <laughs> what? And just say the word plum. <laughs> what? Why are you laughing? <laughs> what? It's only the word. I don't see what's so funny about the word plum. <laughs> uh, uh, right, okay, so. Yeah, so there, there are plums on top of the fridge. There are plums on top. <laughs> <laughs> what are you laughing at? I'm just saying plums. I don't know what's so funny about the word plum. Have you always found the word plum funny? <laughs> 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 
Right, so there are plums on top of the fridge. <laughs> I don't understand what's funny. <laughs> Plums on top of the fridge. <laughs> right? I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm, every time you laugh, I'm gonna start the sentence again by saying there are plums on top of the fridge until you don't laugh. So I could just skip ahead, but I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> there are plums. There are plums on top of the fridge. Telling me that the plums on top of the fridge. <laughs> Feel free to help yourself, though leave some for us to make a plum pie. If you listened to yesterday's dollop, including the phone conversation with my friend about plums, I want to point out that I don't normally record my phone conversations. The recording only existed because I was recording the dollop when she called. I don't record every conversation that I have just in case it comes in handy for a dollop. If I did do that, then it would be a bit tragic that in the space of 240 days, I've only deemed one single three-minute conversation about plums worthy of inclusion in these dollops. Although, let's be honest, it was a quality three minutes. Most of the time, I'm not recording, including right now. Now, unless you're listening to the audio version, in which case, obviously, I am recording, but only the sound of my own voice reading this out, which doesn't count. What I mean is that I'm not recording what is going on as I write this dollop, which is a discussion about van insurance. I'm in the young'un's van, and we need to renew the insurance in a couple of weeks. Sorry, I've reeled you in now, haven't I? I've got you all interested. But alas, you shall never hear that conversation because I'm not recording it. Anyway, don't worry, I won't cruelly keep you in suspense any longer. We are going to renew the insurance with the same insurance company that we're currently using. So there you go, you can rest easy now. Tomorrow we play Towersy Festival. I'm looking forward to finding out whether they published my contribution to their festival programme. If you remember from Dollop 188 a couple of months ago, what am I saying? Of course you remember. I was asked by the person putting the written programme together for the festival to write something in quotes quirky for the programme. So I wrote them a very, obviously we're out of the quotes now. It was just the word quirky that was in the quotes. I don't want you getting confused. I'm r start reading the rest of this blog out and you're going, what, Towersy Festival said all this to you in an email? I'm a bit confused. No, just the word quirky. Anyway, so I was asked to write something quirky for the festival programme. So, I wrote them a very lengthy and elaborate pun-laden joke about computer fonts, which I included in dollop 188. For some unfathomable reason, I didn't receive an email back from them. If they haven't included it in the programme, then I have a good mind to get my own back on the festival by taking up a considerable amount of our performance, delivering an extra long version of the joke. If, for some incomprehensible reason, the font routine fails to get the hysterical reaction that it warrants, then I can just read out Ben's text about plums on top of the fridge, which seems to be a surefire hit. 
Last week, I received another unusual request from a folk festival. The person responsible for compiling the written programme for Bromyard Festival emailed some questions for me to answer. Normally, questions are along the lines of, how did you meet? How did you get into folk music? Questions about our festival appearance, upcoming tour or album. Or they try to be quirky. If you could be an animal, what animal would you be? That kind of thing. Although they don't like it when I out-quirk them, do they? Oh no. Not with a lengthy, elaborate joke about computer fonts. I'm coming for you, Towersy. And there will be repercussions if my amazing font joke isn't in your programme. The person compiling the programme for Bromyard Festival, however, has managed to enter uncharted territory with his line of questioning. Although he's putting his questions to the young'uns, I don't think he's particularly bothered about us. I think he'd much rather be interviewing Mumford and Sons. Here are the list of questions that he sent me to answer for the programme. 1. Between 2012 and 2014, the likes of Mumford and Sons brought folk stylings right into the middle of popular culture. Why do you think that this happened? And what was the impression amongst traditional folk musicians and fans? Question 2. Do you like the Mumfords? Question 3. Did you notice a change in the people who were interested in your music due to the rise of the Mumfords? Question 4. The Mumfords seemed to assume the role of pop rock poster boys during this period on both sides of the Atlantic. Their 2015 follow-up seemed to fall flat, but pop music had seemed to have moved on just as quickly as it adopted them and pop folk. Why do you think this happened? And why do you think it happened so quickly? Question 5. Do you look back on that time as a period that you miss, or one that was always destined to come and go? Question 6. What has that brief window of popularity had on the folk scene? I don't know who this person thinks I am. It's as if he really wanted to get an interview with Mumford & Sons, but wasn't able to, so he just asked us Mumford & Sons questions instead. Or it's as if he thinks that I'm some kind of musicologist or cultural soothsayer. He also seems to be under the impression that I owe my folk music career to Mumford & Sons, as it's clearly thanks to them that I have an audience. He also seems to imagine that me and all the other folk artists on the scene all look back wistfully at 2012 to 2014, nostalgically remembering those glory years for folk, where we all got helicoptered into gigs, and every folk artist had at least three groupies each, every gig. Before the Mumfords, we generally just had to settle with just one groupie a night. But even while we were in the middle of it all, eating the caviar, having sex with beautiful fans who, let's face it, only slept with us because they thought that it might bring them closer to Mr Mumford, or one of his sexy sons. We knew that it would never last. When we heard the Mumfords' follow-up album, we knew the fun was over. The fans began to lose interest in the Mumfords, and consequently us. The caviar ran out. The helicopters stopped coming, and we had to go back to travelling to gigs in vans. And we were back where we'd started, playing to old men with beards once again. Oh, how we yearn for those years. Something tells me that I'm probably not going to get in the Bromyard Festival programme either. Oh well. David's Daily Digital Dollop, Dollop 242. I've just got back from Towersy Folk Festival, or I'm just in the hotel, and I completely forgot to check the Towersy Festival programme to see if my hilarious font joke was in there. Completely forgot. It's a bit late now. Everyone was packing up the festival site. I don't really think there's going to be much point in me trudging to the festival site, trying to find someone and asking them about it. And I think I'm going to have to let this one go. It's very difficult for a man of my artistic pride. But let's be honest, what's more important, dollop 100 
188 of the Towersy Folk Festival programme. I think the fact that it's been on David's Daily Digital Dollop is enough for me. I just thought I would tell you this quick thing about what happened just before we went on stage. A man came up to me and said, Hello, hello, I saw you at Southall and I thought you were absolutely brilliant. Really enjoyed the gig. That's not the end of the story. There's more to it than that. I'm not just telling you this. Yeah, so there you go. Someone thought we were absolutely brilliant, said we were a fantastic group. He said it was the best thing he'd seen at the festival. Uh, yeah, I just thought I'd share that with you. Good night, everybody. You know, there is more to this story, don't worry. I'm not just being arrogant here. He said, I've got a bit of a request. I don't know if you were planning to do this or not, but I was just wondering, will you be playing the Wild Rover today? And I started to laugh, because we never did the, we never the Wild Rover. I mean, it would be a bit twee. And I was a bit surprised, bearing in mind that he said that we were the best thing that he'd seen at the festival, at Subtle, and then for some reason he thought we were the type of band who would sing the Wild Rover. It's a bit of a twee choice, isn't it, really, the Wild Rover? I mean, I can't imagine standing on stage in front of a thousand people and singing it. The only time we've ever done the Wild Rover is if we've been in, like, a pub. Sort of when we first started, really. If you were in a pub and it was really rowdy, and we were in front of loads of people who weren't a folk crowd, but we were just doing a standard gig, then to get the drunks sort of joining in and stuff, we might do the Wild Rover and whiskey in a jar and stuff, but those are right at the start when we first started doing gigs. So I sort of laughed at the idea that we'd be doing the Wild Rover, and he said, oh, that's good, because I was going to ask if you wouldn't do the Wild Rover. And I was like, what, so this is an anti-request? This is like the opposite of a request. I don't think I've ever had anyone request that we don't sing a certain song. So I asked him if there's anything else that he'd like us not to do. Would he be happy if we did Gina G, ooh ah, just a little bit? Apparently so, that was absolutely fine. If he wanted to sing that, he was perfectly happy. Bob the Builder, the uh, original version and the Mambo number no. 5 version as well. No problems, it was just the Wild Rover for some reason he didn't want to hear. I thought, this man's quite odd. And I thought, we can have some fun with this on stage. And my brain started racing through ideas. I was thinking, what I could do is he could say, so he asked me not to play the Wild Rover tonight. Sophia, not my friend, I promise that I will not play the Wild Rover. Oh, no. Nay, never. No, nay, never, no more will I play the Wild Rover, etc, etc. And how the audience would laugh, my friends. Just like you are now, I'm sure. So I thought, oh, brilliant. He's given me something to talk about on stage. That would be quite funny. But then he said, yeah, yeah, because the reason is my wife's granddad died a couple of weeks ago and the funeral was just last week. And the song that they played at his funeral was the Wild Rover. And he was worried about the reaction that she would have if she heard the Wild Rover again. And he wanted to avoid that. And so that's why he was asking. And then I thought, well, I can't really talk about it on stage now, can I? I mean... I'm so glad he added that at the end because if he hadn't added the fact about the funeral thing then I would have just thought it was a, an odd story I'd have just gone hey there's some weird bloke who came up to me and I'd tell the whole story about him asking me whether I was playing the Wild Rover and then the fact that I said I wasn't and he's gone oh that's good because I was asking you not to play the Wild Rover and I'd talk about that then I'd make the little joke about no my friend I won't be playing the Wild Rover no nay never no nay never no more will I play it and sing the Wild Rover and then maybe right at the end of the set as an encore we'd ironically sing a chorus of the Wild Rover or something. Who knows what might have happened? And that would have been terrible. The poor man's wife would have been in the audience. She'd have been blubbing away there. And I'd be like buoyantly singing the Wild Rover, ironically. The audience would be laughing. Uh, <laughs> so I'm so glad that you mentioned that last bit. I was thinking that's a really sweet thing for a husband to do. You know, he obviously wanted to take his wife to a folk festival to forget the horrible couple of weeks that she's just had, and she's still obviously a bit cut up about her granddad dying, so he wanted to bring it to a folk festival to forget everything, and then he suddenly thought, oh my God, folk, folk music. What's one of the most popular songs in folk music? The Wild Rover. 
Oh no! So I can imagine him before every gig going to see the artists and asking them not to play the Wild Rover. So you know, which is quite a big ask really and I think a very devoted husband there so that was very sweet and thank God that he mentioned that thing at the end so we didn't play the Wild Rover and set her off because that would have been, I'd have felt really guilty about that. So true to our word, we didn't sing the Wild Rover and we didn't make any jokes about it as well because that's the kind of sensitive band that we are. So we got on stage anyway and we didn't sing the Wild Rover. We uh, we just did our usual set of, uh, you know, our three-part harmony version of the Death March that we usually do. We did Queen, another one, Banks the Dust, three-part harmony version of that that we often do. If you've been to our gigs before, you'll, you'll know we do these. My Grandfather's Clock, uh, that, was a, that went down very well with the audience. David Bowie, Ashes to Ashes, uh, did that one. Oh, we did the theme tune to One Foot in the Grave, but we didn't do the Wild Rover, because that's the kind of sensitive band that we are. So I hope the husband appreciates that, and thank God that he came up and talked to us, otherwise there might have been a bit of a disaster there, mightn't there? Sorry about this, it's been quite an odd start to the dark today, hasn't it? Haven't really said anything yet. What, the, what was happening at the start, if you were a bit confused there, wondering why there wasn't any talking going on, we're actually in talks of releasing the dollops in Japan, but they want a television version of the dollops. So that bit there that you were hearing, where you just thought there was nothing going on, it was the visuals. There was a lot of visuals going on. There was a few credits sort of scrolling across the screen there. You know, all the information about the scriptwriter and the, the producer and things like that. And it was showing the video of me leaving the house and that kind of thing. So that's the reason you weren't hearing anything. So apologies for that. But hopefully the Japanese TV market will be interested in it. So this is actually being translated into Japanese now. There's somebody in the, in the studio booth next to me who is translating this into Japanese. What I was just about to do was I was about to pretend that I was opening the studio booth door and then I was going to do a Japanese voice but and, and try and speak some Japanese. I don't know any Japanese, so it would literally just be me making Japanese-esque sounds. But, oh, cheers. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where that person came from. There's a lot of cars coming along on this stretch of road today. I think what's happening is we've got a new visuals team in who are in charge of obviously deciding what goes on in the dollop visually and I think they're trying to put more visual stuff in it so they're just putting like more cars in and that kind of thing and then there was that moment there where I just nearly walked into someone oh, there's another car I think this is a bit over the top there the visuals team I have to say I mean do the Japanese audience really like cars is that what's going on here oh there's another car coming this is just getting ridiculous. This never happens on this route. I think... Yeah, I think... There's another one! There's another one! <laughs> I tried to think how much this is costing. There's another car coming! <laughs> all these cars. I tried to think how much it's costing to get all these cars on the road. I hope the uh, Japanese TV company have put in... There's another one coming! 
Hey, 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 I want to say to the visuals team here, I'm just going off script. I just want to say, do you really think this is necessary? I mean, the Japanese audience, I thought the idea was, you said when we first had the, the meeting, is essentially the Japanese TV company had just said that they wanted us to just do what we normally do. They don't want to change the formula because the formula clearly works and they just want it translated into, into Japanese. And for some strange reason, the, and we've got this, well, there's another car coming. And they've got all these cars and all the Japanese audience are seeing now this is the first episode this will be the first episode if it gets commissioned and essentially all the Japanese audience think this is is me commenting on cars but not commenting on them in an interesting way just saying oh here's another car and then commenting on how ridiculous it is that cars keep coming I mean I mean I suppose this could work the Japanese audience might think oh this is really funny <laughs> He's commenting on the fact that there's loads of cars coming. Or maybe they appreciate the meta nature of this. Oh, here we go again. Here's another one. There's a bloody tractor coming now. <laughs> How much is this costing? They've not really created much in the way of drama, the visual team. So we're just having loads of cars and tractors passing. I mean, it's not, I wouldn't really say it's heightening the narrative. I mean, if anything, it's informing the narrative. I'm just going to go off script here. I'm sorry, I, should, I, should, I very rarely do this, but I'm going off script. The weird thing about this is you're aware of the faults of the visuals team, having all the cars and stuff. You're aware of the fact that it's a bit weird, but rather than having a chat with the visuals team and maybe working out what they could do to support the narrative rather than impede it, you've just factored it into the script. To be honest, if it's going to be like this, then I'd rather just say to the TV company in Japan, thanks but no thanks, because I think this is making it very odd. And I also think it's a bit odd that you are clearly in cahoots with the visual team scriptwriters, because you've, rather than having a chat with them about how weird this is, the fact that they're putting loads of cars in the dollop and stuff, and just making me have to stop every 20 seconds to say he's another car, which is not interesting in the slightest. You surely know this. I mean, the fact is, on the script, it's saying how uninteresting it is, which I would argue is quite flawed. Well, I don't know. You understand the Japanese audience more than I do. That's, that, you're quite right. I suppose you have done your research, yes. Maybe they do appreciate the whole meta thing there. All right, I'll, I'll have faith in you, but uh, I'll just continue reading the script. <clears throat> I don't know if you're gonna put that on the recording or not. I'm presumably you're gonna edit this bit out. I don't know. I don't know what bits they're leaving and what bits they don't. It's all very confusing. I don't actually listen to the dollops. I just act as I am instructed by the scriptwriters. I just do the acting and then... Uh, oh, a message has just come through. Let's have a read. It might be interesting. It might be a dollop commenter. I don't know what it, where it's from. Uh, Oh, thank you very, very much, Ruth. I, well, I suppose I was. What can I say? Really funny at the gig last night, and as you can tell, listeners, I have kept that creative, comedic brilliance, that comedic energy. I've still got it pulsating through my body now, as you can tell, hence the brilliance of this dollop so far. So if you're not enjoying this dollop, you think this isn't very interesting, then I want you to know that less than 24 hours ago, I was really funny. And that's been proven. That's been, that's a message that's just come in there from my friend Ruth. So there you go. I'm just going to go off script again. I don't like this bit here, because this makes me sound really arrogant now. Playing a message of someone saying that I was really funny, and then me commenting on the fact. I mean, I know, no, you are right, you have, you have researched the Japanese market more than... Oh, there's another car coming. Bloody hell. Oh, I, 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 I'm not sure about the cars. 
I think we need to have a meeting with the visual team after this. Oh, there's a dog now, everyone. If you were going to put some visuals in, like you've had a, loads of cars and a dog, I think the script writing could be a bit better. Rather than me just saying, oh, there's a car, oh, there's a dog, here's another car. Like, I could have said something a bit more interesting. I think there's a bit of an argument going on over here. Now this is a good bit. Now that was a good bit. I'm not sure if the Japanese audience would have understood that. I'm not sure if they know who Benny Hill is in Japan. But there's some workmen having a bit of an argument. Something about a generator. I like that. I like that bit there. That was that was good. Things are getting interesting now. But I also just want to say that maybe we could have put that nearer the start. That bit of drama there with the two workmen having an argument. Another thing that I'm a bit worried about about the Japanese dollops is in England, people can just listen to this all in one. So it might only last for like 10 minutes. But you know in Japan, they're going to intersperse it with adverts, aren't they? So, I mean, it might be about half an hour by the time we get to that bit because there's going to be loads of adverts in between. And I don't think there's enough to keep the audience interested. It's just a thought. And yeah, I know there's sheep. But I'm not going to comment. It says on the script, oh, there's some sheep. I'm not... I just think it's a bit lacklustre all the time just saying, oh, there's... And then just commenting on what there is. The Japanese audience can see the sheep and everybody else can hear the sheep. So it's, it's fine. I'd be interested in hearing the, uh, the Japanese version of this. Just out of interest, are you using the sheep that we hear now or are you getting Japanese sheep? That's an interesting thought. You hadn't thought about that. But it's, it's just a thing. It's all, it's all these things that we need to have a meeting about. So I think I'll wrap up this dollop fairly soon. So I'll do that and then we'll have a meeting, yeah? I wonder if in the Japanese version they're going to put in the reference to Benny Hill or if they're going to put in a Japanese equivalent character, maybe. That was the uh, Japanese actor there in the other studio reading one of the lines of the script out and then he just started laughing. Maybe it was the line about Benny Hill. So it clearly does work for a Japanese audience. Oh, I'm being approached by a horse. It's on the other side of a fence. It's very close to me, on the other side of this fence here. It's, I don't know if it's paying me any attention, but it's right, I'm right next to it, and it's just pulling bits of grass up and eating it. Oh, it's, it, I can, its head is right there. I can hear it eating. My head is right next to its head. I mean, it probably could lean over and headbutt me if it wanted to. And it's too busy eating grass. And now it's off. The script sort of ends more or less here. There's some more bits where I start talking about something and then another car comes by. That's happening right now. Yep, that car's gone. 
I know I'm, I'm sorry I'm rebelling. I'm rebelling against this. The scriptwriters are getting absolutely livid now that I'm doing this as a Japanese person who is one of the producers from the Japanese team. We've flown him out. I'm sorry, it's just, it's, look, there's another car coming. Yep. There's another car. I just have to talk about that car again on the script. I mean, me going into a bit of a strop is probably more interesting than what you've actually written on the script, in fairness. I mean, we've spent quite a lot on this, and I wouldn't say we've got value for money. We've had about 20 cars. There's another car coming now. I mean... I should be seeing something now, but... All this is visual. All this is visual. Yeah, I'm not sure about this at all. Anyway, sorry about what you've just had to put up with there, listeners. What the bloody hell's going on now? What's, what's this? What? The theme tune? Theme music? I do, I do like the theme music, I suppose. Well, maybe we could give it another try. I'm not sure about that bit at the end of the theme tune. I think you might want to change that. What, you think it mixes Western and Eastern ideas? Well, I'm not sure if it does, to be honest. Uh, I, was, I quite like the theme tune. It was, it was appealing to me, and it's one of the reasons why I'm willing to give this another try. But I'm not sure about that last bit, but... I'd be interested to see what our usual audience think about this, because I think they're going to feel a bit hard done by. I think they're going to think this has been a waste of their time today, personally. But feel free to let me know, uh, listeners. I opened the taxi door and asked the driver whether this car was a taxi. This wasn't some kind of weird, smart-ass philosophical question about the nature of vehicular identity. Can this car really be said to be a taxi? Or should we really be saying that the car is merely serving the function of being a taxi? After all, for what is the taxi when it is not taxing? Is it then still a taxi? But I was not trying to make such a philosophical statement. I was merely inquiring as to whether the car door that I had just opened was, in fact, a taxi. Because, being blind, there have been times that I have made an assumption about a car being a taxi, opened the door, got in, and sat on a bewildered passenger's knee. Still, I ended up in a two-year relationship with one of those bewildered passengers, so it's not always a bad thing. The driver responded to my question with a, Yes... But it was such a world-weary yes. I was genuinely taken aback by his yes. By the fact that he'd somehow managed to convey so much misery in just one single syllable. The despairing nature of his yes was so intense that it caught me completely off guard and I gave an involuntary chuckle. I got into the taxi, feeling embarrassed by my inappropriate chuckle. I felt guilty that I'd responded to his misery-laden yes in such a way. I decided to try and reduce deem the situation, to attempt to take back the chuckle and disguise it as something else, maybe a cough. So I began to venture a chuckly cough. 
I've never tried a chuckly cough before, and I wasn't at all convinced by it. I think it just sounded like a very weird chuckle, almost as if I was trying to make a statement with a chuckle. A statement like, yes, that's right, my friend, I am chuckling at your misery, and I want you to know it. I needed to employ more cough and less chuckle. But my next attempt was even worse. I abandoned the chuckle altogether and just opted for the cough. Normally, when I cough, it is because I feel a need to cough. I've never really coughed before deliberately. I assumed that it would be easy and would sound perfectly natural, just like a regular cough. But I was surprised by how unusual it sounded. It sounded like a man deliberately coughing in the most ridiculous way that he could muster. It's difficult to explain the sound in writing. Perhaps in the audio version, I will attempt the cough. Um, it was sort of like... Hang on. <coughs> like that. It sounded like someone with a really bad sore throat having very noisy sex. I'm using artistic license here, choosing to use this description in order to give you an effective comparison rather than drawing on my actual lexicon of sounds. I stopped my absurd coughing and then said, uh, so sorry. I'm not sure what I was saying sorry for, nor what he would assume that I was apologising about. I was sorry that I had laughed at his despairing yes. But I was also apologising out of embarrassment for the weird chuckly cough, Sherard. Although I couldn't even be sure that he'd registered my chuckle or had been aware of my subsequent attempts of a cover-up. The taxi driver did not respond, and I too fell quiet. As the journey went on, the only sound he made was very heavy sighing. I didn't know whether his sighs were a sort of cry for help, as if he was begging me to ask if he was okay, so that he could unburden himself to someone. But not being able to see his facial expressions, I wasn't able to get any clues about what he might be thinking. Plus, after my odd behaviour earlier, I didn't really trust myself to speak, as I'd probably say something embarrassing that would make the situation worse. I'd probably say something like, What's wrong with you? Intending it to come across as caring and friendly, but it would probably end up sounding like an accusation. As if I was telling him to shut up with his bloody heavy sighing. So, I continued to keep quiet. But then, I became aware of my breathing, and I started to worry that I might be breathing a bit too deeply, and that it might sound as if I am imitating his sigh. Normally, I wouldn't be so self-conscious. Well... Okay, I do tend to overthink a lot, but because of my chuckle earlier, I was concerned that he might be thinking that I'm taking the piss out of him, chuckling at his misery, and then mimicking his sighing. Sorry, I said again. Why the bloody hell had I just apologised again? I'd overthought my breathing so much that I'd convinced myself that he thought I was taking the piss out of him, so I apologised. It was an involuntary apology. I began to feel even more self-conscious. I sighed in exasperation at my stupid self-conscious behaviour. Ah, oh, for goodness sake, I just sighed. I resisted the urge to apologise. Eventually the journey ended. The driver muttered the price, sounding utterly depressed, and I handed over the money, tipping him heavily out of guilt. It may be the case that all of this was in my imagination. It is unlikely that he thought that I was taking the piss out of him. He was probably too caught up in his own doom-ridden world to be aware or care about what I was doing. But my brain had gone into a weird self-conscious fluster. I shouldn't be admitting my stupid weirdness in these blogs so readily, but I need to publish today's blog in the next hour, and this is the first subject that's sprung to mind. This is the problem of doing a daily blog. I end up revealing a lot of stuff. If I'm not careful, I'm going to have psychology students basing their PhD on these blogs. Or maybe I'm just being a bit too self-conscious. Again. <laughs>